Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So I made a mistake. I walked back over to the house today and I said to Jenny, I said, this might be one of my three favorite ones that I've ever done. And it might be the best. I just, there's some others I really like. So I'm really excited to do this song. And I wasn't when I picked it. It really has popped open for me in a really special way. And I think one of the things that makes it surprising for me is this might be the first time that I've done what seems to me anyway to be a love song. I'm not sure that you necessarily heard it that way, and I don't think you have to hear it that way, but I heard it as a love song the more I listened to it. It wasn't obvious when I started. But the premise of the song is relatively universal. It's something that we've all shared. At some point, all of us have wanted to swap places with someone else, whether it was a romantic relationship or, you know, perhaps a deep friendship or even just perhaps someone we knew less well, perhaps like a coworker or a boss, just to say, how in the world do you see the world? Because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, perhaps more in just a Prince and the Pauper style story. We've all wanted to experience what a relationship is like on the other side. This, of course, makes all the sense in the world, does it not? Because relationships of whatever kind are hard. They are fundamental to who we are as human beings, but they are hard. And what makes it even harder is that when we enter into relationships, we only have half the data. So just a peek, right, on the other side of the equation surely would make life a bit more interesting and a lot easier if we knew what it was like to swap places. That's the premise of this song, and that speaks to how well it has risen and how quickly it has risen through our popular culture. To this end, the Duffer Brothers, who, put, who are creating Stranger Things, and their Emmy-nominated music supervisor, Nora Felder, give us in this song a master class in using music to enhance a scene. Now, this is the only time I'm talking about Stranger Things, so if that's not you, check out for about 30 seconds, come on back in. But anyway, in Stranger Things, Max, who's one of the show's leads, a female lead, has struggled with relationships as a young woman and growing into a teenager. She struggled with all kinds of relationships, both friendly and romantic, throughout the series. I see a lot of her in me, just the child who kind of grew up sort of by myself. And so finding super deep relationships can be hard for that kind of kid. I love Max and I love how she kind of expresses herself early on. The only way she can be in relationship with others is she beats the tar out of you in the arcade. Like that makes sense to me. But in this, particular, in this particular scene where this song shows up, and I don't think I'm giving away too much here... She is held captive by a terrible monster in another dimension. Reminder, Stranger Things is a horror show, so we bend your mind a little bit, it goes to weird places. So she's held captive by a terrible monster in another dimension. And the scene from her perspective is this very hellish, deep, and terrifying loneliness as she's face-to-face with this grotesque monster. But fear not. Because in our dimension, the one you and I experience, her friends are doing everything they can to save her. And they learn, and I won't explain how, but they learn that they can save Max by playing her favorite song, which is Running Up That Hill. 
this makes me so happy, aside from the terror of the scene, because is this not the most quintessential 80s thing ever? The power of the mixtape. Just play the right song for the one you love and you'll connect. All right, Jenny's laughing because I have done this and I keep doing it. You just hope that one song will connect you and that is what this scene is all about. Play the right song and Max will be saved. What is it they're hinting at here? Is it just like this weird science fiction play a song and, you know, it's the right potion? What are they hinting at for Max in this scene who's captured and, yes, friends, for us? In a world as we've been describing it over the last couple of weeks, wondering about the viability of hope, the presence of fear that, can, that continues to threaten and erode our culture, what can save us from the monsters that have created such a hellish loneliness for us? What are we lacking in our culture that will unlock this moment, that will deliver us? What, is it, what song can our friends be playing that will deliver us from this other dimension in which we find ourselves? Friends, I'm going to offer to you this morning that the word we are looking for is empathy. This is a song about empathy. Empathy, according to the dictionary-ish, is the ability to share and understand the feelings of another. It is not just being able to identify an emotion in someone else. It really is feeling with people, to feel what someone else feels. This has been broken down a little bit more by a nursing scholar. Her name is Teresa Wiseman, and she was quoted by Brene Brown. Many of you might be familiar with Brene Brown's work. But Teresa Wiseman, who was studying what it means to be a nurse, and empathy, of course, is at the core of all of our caretaking professions. And she broke it down to say there are four essential parts to empathy. There is perspective taking, being able to see it from somebody else's point of view. Staying out of judgment. As much fun as judgment can be, You all sit there very piously. You know what I'm talking about. It can be fun to judge others. But staying out of judgment, recognizing and properly identifying emotion, and then finally communicating that emotion back to someone else. These are the four parts of empathy. And what Wiseman argues, and Brene Brown will argue as well, is that empathy drives connection. Empathy is all about connecting in a real way with someone else. And in this, this song, Running Up That Hill, and Kate Bush give us a master class in what empathy looks like and how it plays out in between two people who care about one another. This song begins, it doesn't hurt me. Do you want to feel how it feels? Do you want to know that it doesn't hurt me? And you're like, well, she says it doesn't hurt, so why are we talking about pain? Aha, slow down. Pain is absolutely at the core of this song. This person is saying, it doesn't hurt me, but as I hear this song, it feels more to me like downplaying the pain. For me, it's, it's, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. How you doing? I'm fine. Pulling that. It's like downplaying the pain, reducing it, so that it increases the likelihood of the companion perhaps coming closer. And the opening to this song is an ask. Do you want to know? Are you sure? Do you really want to know the pain that I'm going through? And then here's the plan. Not to solve it, not to provide a solution for it, but simply to share it. The solution. And she cries, you, it's you and me. Empathy relies on and pain seeks connection. 
And through the masterful use that Bush uses to allow silence and that steady beat to run through the song, it appears that the other person, as they think about this and process it, comes to the conclusion that, yes, they do want to connect with this person, to hear the truth and to examine that for what it is. And that's when the pain gets cracked open. Not in verse 1, it's in verse 2, which is usually when we finally reveal our pain to the other. It says, you don't want to hurt me, but see how deep the bullet lies. Unaware, I'm tearing you asunder. Oh, there is thunder in our hearts. So this companion gets invited in. And inside we discover there's a deeply embedded bullet in the soul. And this, of course, is a metaphor for all kinds of things that we've all felt. And I think that's why it connects with us so deeply. But it's a process of discovery for both parties. One discovers that there's a bullet in their beloved's chest, yes. But the other discovers that the bullet is tearing you asunder. One person is wounded, but they are wounding the one that they love because that bullet and because that pain is there. I didn't mean, I didn't want, you don't want to hurt me. I'm unaware that I'm tearing you asunder. Both are discovering how pain functions in a relationship. And friends, this is the power of trauma. This is the power of pain. Pain never stays inside and roped off. Pain always and everywhere in our lives spirals out. And trauma affects everyone around us. Naming it is the first step in a healthy relationship to say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. And discovering that, yeah, sometimes the person who is hurt, hurts. Hurt people hurt people. Perhaps we've heard that said from time, time to time. And it's not a judgment. It's simply to say it is the nature of pain for it to spiral out beyond us and to cause pain and discomfort for others. But because there is love, and this is where I start to believe it's a love song, because there is love, the one who is being hurt, who doesn't have the bullet, nevertheless hangs in there. And what we hear them sing together is there is thunder in our hearts. And what I hear in this line is that there is hope that as long as they stay together, as long as there is connection, not a solution, nobody's trying to get the bullet out, but as long as they stay together, as long as they're partnered together, they can deal with the pain, they can figure it out. And together they begin to tackle it. Kate Bush sings, is there so much hate for the ones we love? Tell me, we both matter, don't we? You, it's you and me, it's you and me. We won't be unhappy. Do you hear the change in the language? The language moves from I, here's what I'm undergoing, and you, here's your experience, to we. Now this is a shared experience. Pain seeks connection. And it's a beautiful illustration. It's perhaps the most emotionally healthy song I've heard in a long time. This person isn't alone, and it is in connection that healing can happen. But that healing makes a demand onto the other person. They have to acknowledge the bullet, and they have to acknowledge that the bullet affects them both. Is there so much hate for the one we love? Almost reads as an apology. This pain that I have is hurting you, and I'm sorry. Why is this coming out this way? Tell me, we both matter, don't we? By owning every part of what they're going through together and seeking restoration for all, they start to deal with the pain. And in this, we discover that it takes courage to show compassion. Compassion, which literally means translated from the Latin, to suffer together. But Kate Bush sings that this is the way forward. This is the way up that hill. Kate Bush got this. But she wasn't the first one to get it. 
Kate Bush sings about this and it resonates. Unfortunately, our own scriptures have been singing this same song and it has failed to resonate with religious communities. This is the story of Mark chapter 3. This tiny little story which never gets read. We read these stories as miracle stories. Oh, look, Jesus is pretty powerful. He can heal a guy. No, no, no. Yes, yes. Not no, no. Yes, they are a miracle story. The, the guy gets healed, yes. But they run so much deeper and they're trying to teach us something about ourselves. And in this story, we have a man in pain. But we have a man in pain not just because his hand is withered. He's in pain because that withered hand has separated him from everyone. Here's what you need to understand about the ancient world, the world that Jesus lived in. In the ancient world, uncleanliness and sinfulness are contagions. Hear that again. We're in a COVID world. We understand this very well now. They believe that religious uncleanliness and sinfulness were as contagious as any germ. That if you came close to somebody, get too close, and you'll catch it. This was the whole thing around leprosy, remember? People are sick. They must be judged by God. You get too close to them, and you'll be judged by God as well. And so in that world, empathy becomes risky because it might affect me. might affect my relationship with God. And so what took its place? When people weren't showing empathy, what did they show? Let me offer a bit of a controversial word here. That they couldn't show empathy because religion forbid it. And so what they showed was sympathy. And sympathy is something entirely different. Sympathy is feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. You're like, well, that sounds like a good Christian thing to do. Aha, not quite, not so fast. What sympathy does is that it maintains distance between you and me. I simply see your situation and I feel something for you. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I hope that works out for you. Sympathy acknowledges feeling but won't share it. Often what sympathy does is it seeks to, if I can make a noun into a verb, it seeks to silver line someone else's problems. I see you have that problem, but at least it's not this bad. I see you're having troubles in your marriage, but at least you're married. I see your child's having a really hard time in school, but at least your other kid is smart. I see your finances are really low, but you know what? A nickel's a nickel. That's what sympathy does. Sympathy says, yeah, you got an issue. But when we sympathize with somebody else, all we do is acknowledge the pain that's already there and we make it worse. And so Jesus comes to the synagogue and he sees this man with a withered hand. We aren't sure why, but it's at least on the table that this withered hand could be God's judgment. So nobody goes around this guy. Nobody. But the people watched Jesus. See, this is the cool thing. They knew Jesus could heal this guy. We're three chapters into Mark. They knew something was different about Jesus. So they watch him. They're like, let's see what this guy does when he comes in here and sees this guy. They know he can do something about it, but will he? And this is a contrast of styles. What is the best expression of our faith? Is it judgment or mercy? Is our best expression of our faith sympathy or is it empathy? Well, Jesus says, come forward. He says, come close to me. And then Jesus chooses a side in this battle. And he says back to everyone, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? 
And it tells us that he was grieved at their hardness of heart. He was brokenhearted at the broken hearts, and not in a good way, the busted, unfeeling hearts of the people who were in the synagogue. And from Jesus' point of view, the afflicted person in that synagogue was not the man with the withered hand. The afflicted one were the people who stood around and wouldn't come up near that man because I might catch something. And so he heals the man, and it tells us that he was restored. Not just that his hand worked, but now all that judgment, all that loneliness, that hellish existence that this man had gone through was now gone and he could participate in community again. Pain seeks connection. Jesus was empathetic. The people who saw Jesus had questions. And this is where I think the way Kate Bush talks about this song is fascinating. Because she said, usually when you do this kind of metaphysical switching with somebody else, she's like, in all the great stories that we tell, usually you got to go to the devil to get this kind of thing, right? If you want to switch souls or switch experiences, you got to go to the devil. You make a deal with the devil. I believe the Rolling Stones sang about that. Maybe we'll do one of those at some point. That if we want something illicit or unexpected or inappropriate, you go to Satan to get it. But it occurred to her, she said, well, wait a second. They're just trying to feel what each other feels. What if this is a deal with God instead? And in that, she nails it. Empathy is godly, and it is the root of all faithful living. And hear me out loud and clear that our most awful religions, our most awful religions and religions and faiths, whether conservative or progressive, are religions of sympathy. They stand far off and do everything they can to offer a solution to somebody else who's on the other side of the problem. Our best religions, our best expressions of faith are religions of empathy where we draw near to the one who is suffering and we compassion, we suffer with others. We feel emotion, we, com- we, we understand that emotion and we communicate that emotion back without judgment. Consider our own times, the times where hope is at a premium, where fear rules the day. Would not our struggles be more humane? Would not we be more compassionate? Would our language around how we talk about one another, would it not be more wonderful and beautiful if we stopped practicing sympathy and casting judgment and started practicing empathy, which is presence, you right next to me? Consider people who are ostracized, from their families because of something that has nothing to do with them. Consider people who have been shunned away from relationships because, God forbid, you might catch something off of them. What if we were able to say to them, you know what, we know what it's like to be ostracized from relationships too. What about those who exist at the hands of violence who's, and see families torn apart and people, people struggling for all kinds of reasons say, you know what, I, maybe I know what that's like, maybe I'm not, but I will suffer there with you. This is why Jesus says you're supposed to go visit people in prison, suffer with them. We hear the cries of those affected by war and by politics and by climate and all these sorts of things. And if all we can do is say best of luck to you, we've got it completely wrong and ours is a horrible, horrible religion. But empathy unlocks everything we are wrestling with. Empathy allows hope to emerge. Empathy allows fear to subside because even if the world comes to an end, we won't be alone while it happens.
one of the earliest writings of the New Testament, is a prolonged cry for the church to practice empathy. In the book of Galatians, Paul gets as angry as Jesus did in Mark chapter 3. For all this talk of empathy, it's two really angry readings today. (laughs) But Paul gets really angry as this fledgling church debate the rules and regulations of being a follower of Jesus. And the entire argument to the Galatians is, in a sense, that God has been empathetic to us. God hasn't stayed far away God is not a sympathetic God who kind of says, oh, you guys are in a whole lot of trouble. Here's some crumbs of salvation. Good luck. I hope you can make it up this far. That's not what God does. Paul's whole thing is that God came and was one of us. God came and walked among us. Paul would have echoed the lines of John when he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and in him we have seen truth. And so what he's saying is, if God has shown empathy to us, what in the world are we doing showing sympathy to our neighbors? And he begins in this passage. He says, restoration is critical. The building of a new kind of of community is mission critical to what we are doing as believers. And he says, first things first, restore the sinful. No, if somebody else has fallen into sin, you're not going to catch sin. He says, watch out for it. Make sure you don't get drawn down. But you know what? Other people's sin doesn't have to be your sin. Just simply go and be alongside of them. Forgiveness is for us. He says, forgive the other and restore them. Forgiveness is for the person who sinned. Restoration is for me. And now we're brought back into a relationship. And he says, now that we've got that out of the way, now that we've restored our relationships, because sin is real, we need to talk about that. But he said, once that happens, then he says, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Not just observe and judge one another's burdens from afar. Earlier in the gospel, or early, the gospel earlier in the epistle, Paul had said that, yes, we are free. We don't have to submit to all these rules. But, but, Paul says, freedom is not the highest good. He says, freedom, we are no longer bound by the law, but we are bound by God's example that our freedom is to be used in the service of others. Earlier in the letter, he said, do not use your freedom as opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Be empathetic be people of empathy. Do not use your freedom to center yourself and your own experiences. No, use your freedom to see the world. You are free to see it through somebody else's eyes. And he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. We know this. But, he says, if you sow to your own flesh... If you sow only to your own needs, your own perspectives, your own opinions, your own judgments, Paul says you will reap corruption from that. Your world will become so small. He says rather use that freedom to center someone else, to enter the experience of others, which, yes, may may mean connecting to some of the pain that you've had, some of the pain you've experienced but allowing that pain to connect you to somebody else's pain, which elevates you both. It says, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity to let us work for the good of all. Friends, the world to which we go and the world that we are called to serve at the moment is an uphill climb. We are running up that hill. We are running up that road. We are trying to climb this building. And each and every day, it feels like we're falling farther behind. 
And that experience is as painful in and of itself, let alone all the pain that our world is feeling. But I couldn't help be inspired by these words from somebody who practiced deep empathy, Martin Luther King, who said, the Christian faith makes it possible for us to nobly to accept that which cannot be changed and to meet disappointments and sorrow with an inner poise and to absorb the most intense pain without abandoning our sense of hope. That is the work to which we are called, to absorb the most intense pain without abandoning our sense of hope. And the world will not hear our message of hope until they hear that we are willing to suffer alongside of them, until we understand and practice that the solution to the world's problems are not solutions, they are connection. Pain seeks connection. You and me, and we won't be unhappy when we walk in the way of Christ. So I give thanks for Kate Bush who cracked open this nut for me. And I give thanks for Jesus and for Paul who very angrily, I do love me an angry Jesus, who very angrily reminds us that empathy is what it means to walk in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus.